Welcome to the Data Bites podcast by Women in Data, where we give you your weekly bite-sized dose of career development advice, industry case studies, and career stories to help you excel in your data career. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Joanna Loverly. Joanna is an executive presence coach, workplace psychologist, and fashion stylist who primarily helps women develop transformative leadership skills. Joanna earned her MA in social organizational psychology from Columbia University before taking on leadership development roles at Tiffany and Company, JetBlue, and Daily Burn, among others. In this episode, Joanna shares why executive presence is essential for women, how to lead with authenticity, and the small practical steps you can take that will lead to big changes. Joanna's energy is contagious, and I know you will come away inspired after this episode. Enjoy! Welcome to the Data Bytes podcast, Joanna. I'm so happy to be chatting with you today because it was a pleasure to hear you come in and speak for Women in Data. And after I heard your talk, I was like, okay, I have to have a one-on-one conversation because there's a lot more here that we have to dive into. So thanks so much for taking this time to join us. Oh, I am thrilled to be contributing to the Women in Data community once again. Yay. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Well, we are so happy to have you back because what you talk about is just so relevant, not only within the data community, but just to women in general in terms of how to have an executive presence. And so for those who didn't attend the webinar, would love to know what inspired you to start your work and coaching women to have an executive presence? Well, it all started, I have a little bit of a story. Can I tell you a story? Sadie? Yes, I love stories. Oh, okay. (laughs) Great. Well, I have a little bit of a story that in hindsight was completely about executive presence, and it kind of catapulted me into this work today. So the story is this. I had a fabulous, fabulous job at a fabulous company, a great household name that you have definitely heard of, and it was my most favorite job ever. And I will say that I was doing really well. I'll just I'll just say that. I'm confident and grounded enough to say I was doing really well. And I was walking into my end of year performance review at the end of the first year. I was there for three years. And I'm feeling really confident about my performance review. I was getting things done, thinking outside the box, getting results, all the things that are listed in a performance review. So I walk in, it's like a small little conference room and I'm there with my boss and the performance review started exactly the way I thought. He was going down the list. Yes, Joanna, you are hitting deadlines. Excellent work. The quality of your work is so high. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to be full of myself, but I knew that I was doing really well. And then he flips over the page. That second page had something a little bit different. That second page had something what they called competencies. And it was not the work that you produced, but it was how you did the work, how you communicated, how you collaborated. And I'll just say, I didn't get as great marks on that second page as I did on the first. And then I started getting feedback like, how often I speak in meetings, the volume of my voice, 
there were also some other comments that I I don't think were okay about my hair. But <laughs> needless to say, and I'm not saying that this was all okay, but the fact is, is that after that performance review, I felt like I was totally stuck because I was thinking to myself, well, this is me, right? I, I am full of life and gregarious and extroverted. And if they don't like it, then, then, you know, forget it and I'll just leave. And eventually that's what I did. But between that performance review and the three years, I felt very, very confined in terms of my personality, just so I could fit in to what I thought they wanted, which was, you know, corporate robot. The corporate robot doesn't work for this Italian redheaded Jersey girl. So I, it, it was really, really tough and it made me feel dull. And so why I started this work is because in hindsight, I had more choices than leave or become a corporate robot. There are other choices. Those choices are executive presence skills, which I hadn't learned about yet. But now I get the amazing opportunity to work with ambitious women to help them take control of how they're perceived at work and be more fluid in all the different rooms that they're in, whether they're Zoom rooms or conference rooms with every audience. So executive presence is about tweaking all of the data points that someone may take in to make a judge judgment about you. So <laughs> let's tweak them and optimize them while still feeling authentic. And all of those tweaks are based in science. That's what I do. It's the leadership stuff that nobody teaches you. Thank you so much for sharing that story because I think it is so relatable for many of us on multiple levels. And, and sometimes I feel like we're set up for failure because, you know, we've a lot of women are highly educated, you know, with bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, PhDs. And so they've gone through this system, right, of create these good marks, get all your work done, are able to check all those boxes off, just like you were in your story, right? You were like, I was achieving, I was performing, I was doing all these things. But we've all been in that instance when they turn the page, so to say, right? And say, okay, well, you're doing all these great things, but you're missing, as you'd say, this executive presence. And I know a lot of us have felt, and I have even personally of like, Yes, I understand and I hear what you're saying, but also part of it doesn't feel like me. And so one of the things that I know you teach a lot of is not changing who you are to fit into that corporate style or what leadership looks like, because there's a lot of leaders who don't look like us today, right? So we don't want to change who we are to fit into that. So how do you create that executive voice, but still leave it authentic to you? Yeah. This is a huge conversation that I have with all of my clients. So I don't want you to feel like you're alone if you've been thinking it too. And so I want to stress what you've already said, Sadie. Executive presence is not about changing who you are. It's not about becoming more extroverted if you're introverted. 
It's not about faking it and being a completely different person. The majority of your listeners are not actors, and I would not expect any of them to start becoming professional actors in their daily lives. That is completely outrageous, right? So executive presence is a set of skills. Skills are learnable, practicable, perfectible. And I often say, you know what, let's just try this skill on. Just try it on. Practice. You know, try it out. Experiment with it. And if it doesn't feel good to you, then throw it out. Because sure, there's a science behind all this stuff that I teach. But at the end of the day, the science has to not just become an art. It has to become your art. So if it doesn't feel right to you in your gut, then I say throw it out. Executive presence is about choices. I just want everybody to know that there are choices when you walk into a room, that you are not stuck with your default persona. And listen, you know, when I think about my default persona at that job, of course I was relying on it. That default persona did pretty well you know, got a master's degree at an Ivy League institution, got to work at companies that you've all heard of, household names. So it's not that the default persona isn't good enough. It's that I want to add additional tools to your persona toolkit to try on and test and see if it garners better results. That's all. Well, you're speaking our language here to the data community because one of the things we know about being in technology is you have to have this growth mindset and continual learning as technology is ever evolving and changing. And so I love that approach because it fits really well with what we do in technology is, yes, you also have to have that growth mindset within your soft skills, within your communication and collaboration skills. And I know one of the things you've shared with me before is how small changes lead to big impacts. And I love what you mentioned of just like try the skill on and see what kind of impact that has later on. So could you provide an example of what this may look like in terms of maybe trying a skill on or doing a small change that then leads to that big impact? You got it. Well, most of us are working from home the majority of the time. And we're having meetings with our colleagues and our bosses on Zoom, Microsoft Teams, whatever your preferred channel is. One of the big behavior tweaks that I teach my clients is that when you are speaking, not necessarily when other people are speaking, but when you are speaking, force yourself to look into the camera. And I got to tell you, it's not easy. You're laughing. Even though I'm looking at the camera, I can see that you're like, (laughs) because it can be really awkward. We're all so used to looking at each other and giving each other eye contact. But the fact is, and you've seen it over and over again, that when you're on a Zoom call and you're not looking into the camera, it looks like you're not looking at me, the audience. So when you're speaking, small tweak look into the camera so that the audience feels like you're giving them eye contact. That's a small one, hard to do. 
Sometimes I even tell people, get a post-it note and put it right next to your camera on your monitor to remind you at least to look at the post-it note and then eventually you'll get to the camera. I think that is such a great tip and also really relevant for the, the time that we live in now. Um, I think yesterday I even read an article about how important your headshot is becoming and like finding, there's a whole Wall Street Journal article about finding the perfect headshot because we live in a virtual world and the majority of how people are seeing us and interacting with us is either through our headshot, through LinkedIn, through the little tile that is on our Teams call because we're not turning our video on. And so those small changes, particularly in this digital world, can add to those big impacts. So love that example. Now I'm making sure I'm looking at the camera as I'm chatting with you. I'm like, oh, good reminder. I need to do this more. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And by the way, I totally agree with the Wall Street Journal. The headshot is really important because it legitimizes you. And if you have a good headshot, not just a selfie, it makes you look more professional and more, I don't know, present in your career. Let's put it that way. I have helped many clients get new headshots. Yeah, that's a great segue because I know one of the things you coach on in executive presence is actually what you wear and how you look. And having a background in fashion, which uh, for those of you who are listening, you would love the glasses Joanna's wearing right now. Her personality is shining through. Um, So definitely take a look at the video. But any tips then for women, not just in fashion, but particularly on the headshot of what is it that you want to convey through that image as it's now your digital identity is all over the place? Well, number one, I highly, highly suggest that you get your makeup done for your headshot. Maybe not your hair. I would say hair and makeup, but I think makeup is even more important than hair because I'm going to assume that most of us can do our hair well. But if you're not skilled in makeup application, you need a different type of makeup when you're on camera. It is not the same as everyday makeup because that will make you look very one-dimensional in, um, in, in your headshot or on camera. So I would highly recommend, number one, get your makeup done. Number two, highly recommend, like let, let's not forget that the whole point of your headshot, the whole point of your headshot is for people to look at you and not necessarily what you're wearing. I mean, that is unless you're a fashion designer and you really want people to see what you're wearing. That's a different story. I'm talking about a normal headshot for someone in data analytics like your listeners. So for that reason, we actually want to stop anything that's going to be distracting for the viewer, which means that what you should be wearing is a solid color. I really don't recommend prints for a headshot. In general, I would say any color that is very saturated, if you hear, if you've heard jewel tones, right? The very rich greens, purples, and blues. Those colors are actually really tough for a camera. 
And so I don't recommend those types of colors. Granted, of course, I'm wearing bright yellow today. Don't look at me. <laughs> so I recommend for a headshot, soft, muted, solid colors. Colors like ivory, light blue, like a pastel blue, a mint green, a mauve, or a tan. So we call them earth tones or a muted color. Not because I don't, it's not that I like, don't want you to come out off the page. Like, pow, look at me. You will do that with your gorgeous smile and your eyes. I just don't want anything to distract the viewer from you. That is the main event. So those are my two biggest recommendations. Get your makeup done and wear a top that has no print and is in a muted earth tone. I think those are great suggestions. I personally love the one of getting your makeup done because I have had that done for a photo shoot and it can be one of the most fun things to do because you feel like a superstar, right? Having someone come in and do your makeup. I mean, I know everyone is a little bit different, but it feels like self-care and it makes you feel then your best, which is what you want to shine through in that photo, as you're saying, right? Your smile, your eyes, you want to highlight all those parts of you um, that really should be shining through. I totally agree. And so I'll just offer, I'll offer any of your listeners that live in the New York City area, I have some amazing makeup artists as well as they also do hair, just in my Rolodex. So just contact me if you need anybody. <laughs> I love it. So shifting gears a little bit, one of the questions that came up a lot when we were having the webinar was in terms around underlying beliefs and false underlying beliefs that we have as women, you know, on ourselves that really hold us back from being able to communicate effectively, to influence others, and to let our true personality and leadership styles shine. So in your work, what are some of the common false underlying beliefs you see most women have? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, I, I think most of us struggle with some very common underlying beliefs because we've all grown up in essentially the same society. I'll, I'll, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are international, but I have a funny feeling that we have a lot of commonalities. One of the most common underlying beliefs that I have heard my clients talk about and that we've worked through is this idea that humbleness is virtuous and humbleness will somehow garner a reward. You know, uh, traditionally, I'll just say stereotypically, broad brushstrokes in our society, women are told to be more submissive and we are supposed to be humble. The working world was not built for us. We know this. And so we have to insert ourselves into this working world. And in order for us to be seen, 
we have to do what men have been doing for centuries, which is advocating for themselves, right? They ask for the promotion. They insist on the raise or they'll just go get a new job. Whereas I find that women oftentimes will stay in a bad situation, a bad work situation. Well, a lot of them stay in bad personal situations too, but that's another podcast episode. But a a bad work situation that doesn't work for them because they have this hope and trust that the company will recognize them for all of the years of hard work and they've done so much. And the fact of the matter is that sometimes we... (laughs) We need to act like men and we need to advocate for ourselves much more often than we do. There have been many studies on this. And the fact is that women don't ask for what they need. They don't. They assume that their boss is going to magically, they have these powers that their boss is magically going to know what they need. But we have to advocate for ourselves and we have to speak to what we need more often. That's a huge part of my work with my clients is how can we ask for what we need and what we want in a way that will be best received? Yes, 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 and yes. I am just cheering in the, on in the background while you're saying this because one, I have dealt with this personally, right? And I also see it happen so often in terms of women looking to get a raise, get a promotion. And my first question is, have you told your manager that you want this? Have you told your manager of your ambitions, right? And usually the conversation is it's never happened, right? I also see this a lot of times in relationships. And I know I'm guilty of this too. And they're like, what do you want to eat? I don't know. I think maybe you can decide. They throw out 10 suggestions when in the back of our mind, we know exactly what we want, right? Yet we haven't spoken up to convey that, right? There's there's this need that women have, and I I believe this is both nature and nurture, uh, but but it's really supported by our society that women really feel the need to be liked at work. We want to be liked desperately. And I think that sometimes that wanting to be liked doesn't necessarily garner respect. So we need to really take a look at our actions and our decisions and see what what results we're really getting. And are they aligning up with our goals? You know, I say a lot, girl. Being humble doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't. (laughs) Being humble doesn't pay the bills. And at the end of the day, you're allowed to want what you want. You're allowed to want to be in that C-suite. You're allowed to want to make 20K more or get a higher bonus. You have permission to want it and you have to ask for it. And then you move on from there. If they say absolutely not, then you have a choice as to what your next step is. But living in this this limbo state of, oh, I want this thing and I deserve it, but 
I, you know, my boss will remember me. No, they won't. You got to ask for it, but you need to ask for it in a way that will be best received. And that is an executive presence skill. Sign me up. I am all in. And I love your quote that wanting to be liked doesn't garner respect. I would encourage everyone to maybe put that necessarily. out. <laughs> I will say, let's put it necessarily. It doesn't necessarily garner respect. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I think that's essential for all of us to keep in mind, right? Is what is that need where is that coming from that drive to be liked and what is that end result we're really trying to achieve is it that we want to be liked or is that we want to be respected because people know that we're grounded in who we are and value our leadership style and skills so yes 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 to everything you're saying here uh, as we wrap up a little bit today i would love to know if there was one change that you could see in the world for women, like what is, what would that be? Is it them stepping into their authentic self, their true potential, stop being humble? What is that one change? If you could wave your magic wand, what, what is that one change you would want to see? Well, listen, I, I have been put on this earth because I want to see more gender diversity in boardrooms. C-suites, whatever you want to call it. So what I, that's what I want to see. If I could wave my magic wand, that's what I want to see. I want to see more gender diversity in boardrooms. In order to get there, what I want to see is, I mean, the, uh, Sadie, this is a whole other podcast episode because I was about to say like, I we need to work more to break down the patriarchy. Blah, blah, blah. I was like going there, right? But at the end of the day, what we need to do is not just advocate for ourselves, but we also need to walk the talk of advocating for ourselves so that the younger generations see it too. They need to know that they have permission to achieve their goals and do what they need. We need to continue the, I want to say the, the feminist wave that we've got going on by teaching those who are just out of college or even in high school, we got to show them that they need to advocate for themselves as well. Beautiful. That's such a great way to wrap up this episode. You've shared so much good tips with us and insights and I feel encouraged to go out there and continue to advocate for myself. So thank you. However, I would like to have some fun. And if you're ready, we can open it up to some rapid fire questions. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. What song do you currently have on repeat? Oh my gosh. Virgo's Groove on the new album by Beyonce. I, I'm so into like the disco vibe that she's got going on, especially in Virgo's groove. I love it. I knew you would give me a good empowerment song and I can't wait to listen to this once we're done. So thank you. Favorite place you've traveled. Favorite place I've traveled is Kruger national park in South Africa. 
I went on safari there and it really humbled me to be in front of such large animals that could eat me in an instant. It reminded me that I'm just a monkey, you know, <laughs> put me in my place. <laughs> exactly. Happiness is. Happiness is being surrounded by your loved ones. And sometimes your family is the family that you choose. In the next five years, I hope to. In the next five years, I hope to go to Antarctica. Because I gotta, I gotta go soon. Maybe because, we'll have to connect you. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta go soon because that place is melting rapidly. So I gotta go now. <laughs> yeah, see, well, it's still Antarctica as ice versus Antarctica as an island. So maybe two different yes. types of Antarctica in the future. Yes. <laughs> All right. Last question. To me, curiosity is. Curiosity is essential for building trusting relationships. If we can be curious instead of using assumptions to, to any situation, we will be much better off. So instead of saying, she did this because, if we could be curious and say, huh, I wonder why she did that. We would be much better off and have better relationships. Again, leaving us with another great tip to end up this episode. If there are listeners who want to get connected with your work, do you run any master classes, programming? What's the best way for them to connect with you in regards to executive presence coaching? Yeah, of course. I mean, Yes, I run a mastermind cohort three times a year. I also work with clients one-on-one -on -one all the time. But the easiest way to connect with me is come to one of my free monthly roundtables. You can check them out on my website at www.copperandrise.com. Copper is the metal, but also the color of my hair. And rise, rise up in your life. And there's an events calendar there. You'll see when my next presence roundtable is. Perfect. Well, we'll be sure to add the link to your website in the show notes. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is always a pleasure chatting with you. And I learn something new every time I do. So thank you. Yay. Thank you. Yay, Women in Data. Well, thanks everyone. And a big thank you to our listeners. Remember to stay curious and keep learning and we will catch you next time. See ya. If you're looking for more resources to further your data career or find your tribe, we encourage you to become a member at womenindata.org. See you on the other side.